I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a short, sharp snapshot of the region's policy landscape. My name is Edwina Landale and this is the last episode of The Brief for this year. For today's episode, we're talking about women in politics. Women's representation is a hot topic for policymakers and politicians. From policymaking to parliament, political spaces tend to have a long history of male leadership. Creating a more balanced gender dynamic is incredibly important if we want to create policy that represents the interests of society. Women make up more than half of the community, so it is of course important for their voices to be heard in political spaces. Female politicians face an incredible challenge getting into parliament, and it doesn't necessarily get any easier once they're there. Here in Australia, the total number of women in parliament is just over 30%, and their treatment by male colleagues at times leaves a lot to be desired. So how can we create more space for women and how can we make sure that that space is safe? Joining me today to talk about women in politics and in the media is Blair Williams. Blair is a PhD candidate currently working on a comparative study of women prime ministers and gendered print media studies. She completed a joint bachelor at the University of Adelaide, winning the Business and Professional Women's Award for the top GSSA honours student. She is a coordinator for the Australian Political Studies Association Women's Caucus and the International Political Science Association Pages. Thanks for joining us today, Blair. Thanks. I'm I'm excited to be here. So what exactly are the barriers to success that women face when embarking on political careers that don't exist necessarily for men? There are many barriers, many barriers for women to enter politics. And as we said before, once they're in politics as well. Previous research I did a few years ago after Gillard's, you know, after she left politics, asked young women, did the gendered media representation of Gillard impact negatively on your aspirations to, to leadership in your own life, but also leadership in more in a political kind of space? And a lot of these women said it did negatively impact on them. They don't really want to enter such a, holo- a hostile and volatile political realm. Because they know that if, as women, if they if they do become politicians, then they are you know subject to more media scrutiny, are subject to more scrutiny from you know their own fellow politicians, both from the opposition and from within your own party. So that dissuades women from wanting to enter politics itself. Um, but aside from that, you know those who do want to enter politics, which is fantastic, you know once they do want to enter, that a lot of the times they're not placed in safe seats; they're placed in marginal seats or seats where they will just outright lose. Although Parties like the Labour Party are trying to put in place policies that change that, that you know, to make women also in safe seats. The Labour Party in the UK did a fantastic job at that for the last 20 years. But then the more conservative parties, they don't do that. They see this preferencing more women in for safe seats as kind of this identity politics thing that they don't stand for. They think that 
more women will enter politics if they are good, if they are capable, seeing quotas as uncapable women entering politics, which is not the thing. It's just making it more fair for women to be able to enter politics. So there's some of the barriers. So we need more women in safe seats. We need gender quotas, definitely. We need more substantive representation of women in, in, in politics itself. But we also need more you know, women candidates in general. Actually, I'm glad that you've mentioned this coalition labor split in terms of the approach to quotas or in terms of female representation because I have some information here, something that I want to ask Ooh. questions about. Uh, <laughs> Australia has the largest gap in the representation of women in right and left parliamentary parties of any comparable democracy except the USA. Not sure. <laughs> so, for example, after the 2016 federal election, women made up 41% of Labor members for the House of Reps, but only 17 of 17% of coalition members. So why exactly do you think this gap exists between those two parties. I wonder what the percentage would be like after this year, <laughs> after what happened with Julia Banks resigning and whatnot. Yeah, it's not been a good time for, for the coalition in terms of their, you know, on quote, woman problem. But what accounts for the difference? Well, for starters, Labour has a gender quota, which kind of helps, obviously, more women enter enter Parliament. They put them you know, in, in more safe seats. So just those basic things to just get more women, to make it, to make it, more equitable for women to enter um, politics, where the Liberal Party, as I was saying before, is they kind of you know have their feet like in the ground, pushing against this this wave of wanting more women to be in in politics. They think that they should get there by their merit, not by quotas. Um, ignoring that a lot of women with merit are being pushed out because of unfair, unequitable gender biases. Another reason uh, why there are less liberal uh, women politicians is in in all in all areas of the Liberal Party. It's you know the young liberals are a lot more men than women in the Liberal Party. The party base are a lot more men than women. So it's just constantly like there's a lot more male party members, male voters that that lean liberal than women. Women are more likely to lean Labour voting. They're more likely to be more progressive, at least socially, um, if not economically. So. That, I guess, impacts on how many women there are in the Liberal Party. And then you have this Liberal coalition woman problem that has been in the media for the last few months. Accounts from Julia Banks that she was bullied by fellow Liberal male politicians, um, that they're expected to adhere to this kind of masculine, stereotypically masculine way of acting in Parliament. You know, a quote from a Liberal politician a few months ago was, you know, you have to kind of cop it on the chin uh, in response to Julia Banks's bullying, he was saying that you have to kind of deal with it. You know, it's Be part a man. of yeah, it's part of politics. Like it's a Canberran game, whatever. But for women to have to try to deal with that, then is they they're, they're stuck. They're stuck in this bind of they are required to be to have masculine attributes. They're required to be not aggressive but adversarial. They're you know um, to be not so much combative, but but they have to kind of stick up for themselves. But then if they do do those things, you know, they're seen as being too hard so it's kind of they're stuck you know it's, it's hard I'm not saying they can't do it obviously obviously a lot of people have but it's a lot harder for them to kind of deal with this deal with this stuff than than for liberal male politicians so male, male political leaders have a lot more freedom in how they how they enact their leadership performance they're expected I guess and can also be more combative more adversarial and kind of this like strong protector role, depending on how you know what politician they are. Abbott definitely took that protector role in his leadership performance, where Kevin Rudd less so. Where on the other hand, women leaders, not that we have had that many, they are expected to be 
compassionate, warm, calm, and, and they're expected to you know, be able to compromise really well. So women politicians as well as leaders are expected to be able to compromise where men are more argumentative and combative. And I think that's the main difference. You know, women are expected to be more group-minded where male leaders are more of that the the sole leader where women have to are expected to to lead with the group. So your research focuses a lot on the portrayal of women by the media, which perhaps focuses on exactly the qualities that you've just mentioned. So what kind of image does the media typically portray of the female politician? Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> so the media both reinforce gender roles, norms and stereotypes while also questioning if you don't perform them correctly. Whether they know or not, then this is, you know, they might not even know that they're reinforcing this, um, reinforcing norms, but they seem to kind of portray uh, women political leaders using five different themes that I've noticed. So the first one is they consistently talk about their gender. You know, they're referred to as woman prime minister, especially in uh, Gillard's case, female prime minister. And that's mentioned not just, you know, the first few days after they ascended to the leadership um, position, but con- constantly, although it does wane after a while, but it still is consistently mentioned, you know, that they're you know either female or woman or lady or girl, you know, all those kind of gendered mark- markings uh, are used in their portrayals, as well as kind of discussing things that they do politically in an extremely feminizing way. So, for example, Gillard's leadership ascension in the first few weeks of a of a prime ministerial role was seen to be cleaning up the house. You know, she was seen to be doing housework in Parliament, um, cleaning up the boys' mess, sweeping up. These kind of words are always used: sweeping, cleaning, housework, house um, housewife or housekeeper. And that's not just with Gillard; it's with um, women. You know, uh, Thatcher and Theresa May in the UK, political leaders in New Zealand. Like it's this trend that they that they do through all other countries. They also massively focus on their appearance. So whether you know Gillard has a big ass to quote Jermaine Greer. Her, her prime ministerial portrait was recently revealed, and it's from the neck up because she said that she just didn't want Aww. to deal with anyone commenting on what she was wearing, which is a huge reflection on exactly what. Yeah, you're saying. because she really did get a lot of criticism about what she was wearing. You know. Her scream crate jacket, her legs were commented on, her ankles, her heels, you know, her hair and her nose. Oh my God, that they were you know extremely commented on. So it's just consistent, and and this is in in news stories, not just opinion pieces, but news stories as opposed to focus on hard policy and politics. And you know, her as a prime ministerial, like in, in her leadership role as prime minister, they comment on her appearance. It's degrading and kind of trivializes her. It kind of puts her back into this role of your woman. You're an object to be gazed at, but you know from from the male gaze, um, rather than the leader the leader of our country, and that's quite disheartening for not only Gillard herself to endure, or um, women politicians as well, but society in general. Women, you know, young girls and women seeing that is disheartening. It's like no matter how far I get in my career, I will be seen as an object to be looked upon. And another another theme I've noticed is they consistently talk about. They consistently talk about them in relation to their family roles, especially in relation to men that they know, such as their partners or husbands or lack of partners, uh, their fathers especially, not so much their mothers, interestingly enough, um, and whether they have children or they don't have children. And again, women are in this double bind. If you have children, you should be staying home to look after them. If you don't have children, then are you really a woman? Like womanhood is inextricably linked to to child rearing and bearing. Again, that, that trivializes them. 
brought up in things that it should not be brought up in. And men rarely have that coverage. Or if they do, it makes them more approachable. They're a family man. You know, Scott Morrison has two kids, primary school age. No one says, stay home and look after them. And just other small things, like consistently using their first names to refer to them. You know, Julia did this, Julia said that. But they wouldn't really do it with Howard. They wouldn't say, John did this, John said that. And if, if they do use it to cover men, like Kevin claimed, you know, Kevin 07, that was a that was kind of a, a media spin on his part, um, it kind of makes them more approachable again. So if in one way these things hurt women, in another way it privileges men. So that is a few of the things I've noticed that puts women back into this into the private sphere, into this box of being a woman, which is different from what we're used to. We are becoming more accustomed to seeing women in leadership roles. And I think, you know, Tanya Plibersek, for example, hugely present in the media. Mm, fantastic. And Penny Wong. Exactly. Like there's there's a lot of examples, I think, which is really encouraging. Do you think that the amount of portrayal of women in the media is adding nuance and diversity to the images that are presented? Or are we still seeing the same tropes that you mentioned now? Are you seeing those change at all or develop? Yes and no. So I'm seeing the same tropes there. Like I saw, you know, um, with the coverage of Julie Bishop and her challenge for the prime minister role, uh, you know, the, the Australian, for example, still used some of the same tropes I noticed. They, they compared her to Lady Macbeth, which I did with Gillard. They talked about her appearance. They talked about her family, her lack of children, that kind of stuff, where they didn't with um, Peter Dutton or Scott Morrison. But on the other hand, I'm also noticing that, especially the progressive media, you know, like the Sydney Morning Herald, if you can call that progressive, the less conservative media are having a lot of articles that call out that misogyny, that say this is not okay, this gender treatment that they're experiencing is not okay. They're calling out the media as well as fellow politicians and I guess the public in general. So there's a lot of critical articles, um, but there are also a lot of articles that reinforce gender norms and gender roles. But I think... Feminism is becoming more mainstream and, and a feminist lens of looking at these things are becoming more mainstream. But I don't think it's solved yet. I don't think, you know, it helps that there's more women in, in the political realm because it means it's less abnormal. It's more normalized, which is fantastic. But the media are so personalized that they continue to focus on politicians' personal lives. And as I said before, for men, that's OK. It makes them more approachable. But for women, it marks them as gendered others, which impacts, you know, it can impact negatively. Are you optimistic about the direction that Australian politics and Australian political journalism is going in? I guess I'm, I'm positive about the way that, you know, Australian politics is going in a sense of um, gendered representation, mostly in the Labour Party, obviously. And hopefully, you know, in the next election that will improve. And if we have a Labour government, that will improve further. In terms of media, it's good to see more feminist-leaning articles or articles written through like that feminist lens that we see from The Guardian, the ABC, the SBS, some City Morning Herald stuff, Daily Life, those sorts of things. There are a lot more outlets that are becoming more feminist, which is, which is good to see. But then you still have The Daily Telegraph, The Australian, the Murdoch, heavily Murdoch-run media in Australia that continue to reinforce gender norms, stereotypes, and they kind of reinforce that status quo. So, it, yeah, it's, it, I'm positive in some ways, but I'm also pessimistic in other ways. And um, my research in the UK, you know, comparing the media coverage of Thatcher to that of May, you know, May got in in 2016, Thatcher was 1979. It shows that over there, the media coverage is getting more gendered and more personalized, not necessarily negative. It doesn't have to be negative. It could be a positive article, but they still mention her appearance and her gender. But it is showing that it's becoming more gendered 
you know, in the last 40 years and mostly from conservative newspapers. So while the progressive press like The Guardian and, and The Mirror are becoming less gendered, the conservative press like The Daily Telegraph and The Daily Mail, notorious paper, <laughs> are becoming extremely more gendered. Like we're talking three times as much in the coverage of Thatcher. So so looking at the UK, which is quite similar in, in you know, we're both Westminster democracies. Our media is quite similar. We both have Murdoch-run newspapers. It illustrates what could happen in Australia if we had another woman leader in terms of the conservative press. Maybe the progressive press would be better than they were with Gillard, but the, uh, the conservative press could get more gendered, depending. So it's a perhaps neutral outlook on the future of gendered politics. Thank you very much for coming in. That's all we have time for today, but it's been great to have you and best of luck finishing your PhD. Cheers. As this is my last episode as a presenter on The Brief, I would like to take the opportunity to thank everyone who's helped make the show happen this year. Of course, we couldn't have done it without all the guests who have come in to share their thoughts and ideas. So a huge thank you to all of them. Uh, A bit less visible, but no less important, the whole team at Policy Forum has contributed a massive amount of time and care to the series. Nikki, Julia, Cherry, Maya, Tessia and Sophie have all been behind the scenes with ideas and edits every single week. So I'm incredibly grateful to them for all of their work. And a huge thank you to Martin Pierce for getting this series off the ground and making sure that every single episode is better than the last. Finally, thank you to all of you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed the brief as much as we've enjoyed making it. Of course, our usual policy forum pod is still going, so although this is the last you'll hear from me, there will still be plenty of great content to tune into. Keep your eye out for the next episode of Policy Forum Pod on Friday. As always, if you have any thoughts or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can catch us on Twitter at Apps Policy Forum, Facebook, the Asia Pacific Policy Society, or chuck us an email, podcast at policyforum.net. Thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.